Did I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you gotta buy. Live from the Chester A. Arthur Recording Studio at the Rutherford B. Hayes Media Complex, this is the award-winning stamp show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 345, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This, this is Albert. This is Jim. This is Don. And today we basically just sort of have show-and-tell stuff. First of all, I will uh, tell a little bit because the Kelleher auction was this morning. Was anybody else online for the Kelleher auction? No? I was the only one. I spent a bunch of money. And um, the prices were remarkably strong. Uh, The first two lots of the auction, one was a Great Britain number one. And the other one was a Great Britain number two. Great Britain number ones, you know, this was a four margin one, so it was nice. It wasn't a spectacular four margin. It wasn't particularly large four margin. It was like a grade 90. And it uh, under normal circumstances, you know, 150 bucks uh, full retail would be like $200. And it ended up getting 450 bucks. The number two did have really nice margins. It catalogs, I think, $900. Uh, usually sells for less than catalog value, even in that condition. And it sold for double catalog value. It sold for, uh, after commission, $2,000. Um, incredibly strong prices. The uh, number ones, which were all very nice, they were nice number ones. But they were all over $1,000 each. Some of them over $1,500 each. And this is the catalog, $350? Yeah. Uh, There was one that was the $550 color variety. So, you know, it had a $200 premium. But still, it was like $1,500. It sold for like three times. These were uncertified, ungraded. They were really nice. You know, you look at it and you go, these are going to be 95s, 98s. They're not going to be 100s. As a matter of fact, they're probably not going to be 98s. So say they're strong 95s, and they were bringing three times fa- or three times catalog. Hmm. Um, following up with the Siegel auction that we talked about last week, or was it the week before? Uh, prices are going up, and they're going up fast, and it is incredible how much they're going up. 
Well, was the Kelleher sale a name sale or was it just general general Flavley? It was a name sale, but no, uh, it was a single a single collector sale. Yeah, yeah. A guy named Bernard Levy, hmm. who I'm not exactly sure who he is. I don't. He, it's not like he's Zollner or anybody. You know, it's he. he it wasn't a uh, Bill Gross collection style. It was a guy. If you saw, if you were doing stamp shows in the '80s and '90s and aughts in New York, you met him. Okay, he he was a person who liked nice quality. Yeah, oh, everything was very nice quality, but the prices were crazy. And I understand that, you know, quality gets its price. You know, we work here at a grading place. But the fact that they were ungraded and they still got these prices was very, very interesting. I I would say uh, the prices were spectacular. Yeah. And it's the same as Siegel. You know, the prices they got were spectacular. And I think this is just the beginning of money flowing in, in a huge amount into the hobby because, you know, people are looking for pl- things to put their money in other than bank accounts. Well, I'm seeing it on, on the other end. Uh, Hipstamp runs a, a one-cent auction every Thursday. Um, so on Thursday uh, evening... There's a bunch of stuff starting, but there's a bunch of stuff ending. And the high-quality stuff um, that's uncertified, it's it's getting strong prices. Yeah. You know, if it's if it's really well-centered, uh, and we're talking about, um, you know, that if it was, you know, that if you can estimate, you know, yeah, this might get a 95, um, and you look up the, the SMQ for a 95, and it's selling for close to what the SMQ would be without a certificate. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very strong market. I think, you know, I've been saying all along we're at the beginning of the curve. I think the curve is well underway. We'll see what happens over the next uh, three years. So anyway, uh, we all went to lunch today and talked about everything in the world. Oh, excuse me. Dawn's shaking her head because she didn't go to lunch with us. She was very busy being a busy little worker bee, she's shaking her head, which people can't see, you know, on the yeah. podcast. I know, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody but Dawn. So uh, what did we uh, talk about at the uh, lunch? By the way, South Point Buffet, 1130. If you're in Las Vegas, come on down. Uh, what were some of the good topics that we, were, we talked about Ukrainian stamps for a little while? But that was... Uh, Nobody here is an expert on Ukrainian sim. You know, that's what we need to do for the next podcast. Become Some, experts? Somebody has to become an <laughs> somebody has to become an expert on Ukrainian stamps. Well, it depends on which era, but you know, if we're looking at modern stamps, then Oh yeah, everybody yeah. could be an expert yeah, on you, <laughs> you can learn about that if, if we're looking at nineteen twenty issues yeah. Russian I, Revolution era, then that's a different story. Or yeah. the Russian uh, overprints of the stamps with the little... What is that an eagle that they overprinted it with? It's like some sort of a bird symbol. Yeah. I want to say yes. I, I, I am terrible with uh, Ukrainian history. And Seeing that everybody here is fluent in the Cyrillic language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say that this is a, this is a lost cause in this group. Uh, yeah, let's move on to another topic. Who's got something to share? Well, we t- talked about um, ZEP covers, uh, in principle, in, in particular the flight covers of the Zeppelins. 
Um, the Chicago flights in particular were of interest because we were discovering the different very varieties of the um, ZEP flight covers, for example, if they have actual ZEP flight can, um, stamps, C-13 through C-15 on the Chicago covers versus um, the same flight, but with um, just regular postage paying the fees. Yeah, you, Jim Forty was at lunch with us. He's yeah. uh, a big-time uh, postal history dealer here in Las Vegas. And he... He, I went to him. I had a cover uh, submitted to me um, for an evaluation, and I went to Jim with the cover, and um, it had the German overprint Zeppelin stamp. Oh yeah, on it. And um, anyway, basically the catalog value is high. It's like a thousand dollars or something just for the. 750 just for the stamps, let alone the cover, on cover. But because of the flight it was on, even though it was rare because it was a commercial-type use, uh, it did not have the um, philatelic flavor to it of the cachet and so forth, and therefore was valued at less, even though it was more scarce. So I think that's a very interesting um, collecting field where people are looking for very nice, very precise placements of caches and so forth on this issue and this flight. And Jim had a wealth of knowledge on that, so we yeah. discussed that for a while. Yeah, an interesting thing he brought up was the uh, the fifty cent zep used on non philatelic mail mm -hmm. is almost non-existent. And you can find non-philatelic mail on Zeppelin covers. But the benefit of using the Zeppelin was that it was going to be cheaper and faster to move big, bulky things. So the non-philatelic stuff that crossed on the Zeppelins was usually big envelopes filled with stuff or boxes or stuff like that. And uh, collectors don't like that sort of stuff. They like envelopes. They don't fit nicely on the page. Yeah. The other problem with the Zeppelins is, is that there has not been, there has not been a new issue of the Seeger catalog in it. And I think the last edition was either 2001 or 2004. And when the specialized catalog stops being produced, it, it removes interest in the area. Oh, you are correct there? Which flows into uh, what's going to happen, in my opinion, with United Nations when they remove that from the U.S. specialized catalog. Yeah, I think that uh, it's the death knell for United Nations as far as that's concerned. Well, I think that, yeah, the death knell for United Nations has been, uh, was, it, they put a stake in that heart, you know, two decades ago. And uh, it's living on life support, and now they just flick the switch on the life support. Well, if you lived in New York and you didn't mind sending out, what is it, 12 letters a day, that's fine. You can still use the U.N. stamps. Um, I would tend to want to use, I would tend to want to use, send my bulkiest, heaviest stuff out out of my 10, out of the number I'm allowed to send out. Actually, they had some rule about parcel service or heavy items where it was even more limited because that's what one of the things that they addressed is, you know, people sending everything priority mail and covering it with uh, UN stamps. 
So they have a some sort of a rule against that, I recall, also. Very sad. Yeah. So, but we'll see what happens because, yeah, uh, I honestly do not. I recall seeing several Zeppelin items that were um, non-philatelic, but none of them had Zeppelin stamps on them. You identified them by the cancel. So it'll be interesting. Uh, we should follow up with Jim Forty. We should have Jim Forty as a guest here. We haven't had him as a guest for it would be years. Yeah, he was on last year. Was it last year? Yeah. But oh, that's think, right, yeah. Twice. I think the topic itself is interesting, um, especially somebody who deals in the uh, non-philatelic realm more than the philatelic realm. Um, yeah, the other thing, one of the other things we were talking about that was related to ZEP covers was the problem with uh, we don't. There's a lot of airmail rates between uh, between, for instance, Hawaii and Europe and something, or the airmail might have been paid from from Hawaii to mainland U.S. and then it went by surface and then by ship to Europe. We don't know those rates because they're not printed. Yeah, and uh, and there's uh, a number of canal zone rates that are equally baffling, and we see every number a number of combinations of stamps paying different amounts of paying different amounts, but we don't have the actual the actual post office guides to tell us what what to do. And and Jim had a lot of knowledge about those missing, those that were missing from the possessions, and they also had. Um, missing canal zone um, postal guides so they were uncertain on the rates and he was citing some examples of different rates during the same period of time so apparently even the postmasters were confused about the rates well you know I kind of see that not now so much but um Postmasters had their own sort of what they knew were the rates. So one post office would charge a rate and they'd be positive that it's the correct rate. And the next post office would have a different rate and they'd be positive that it's a correct rate. And I saw that quite a bit just here in the United States. I mean, now everything is, you know, really super duper uh, standardized. You know, if you have an uh, oversized item, you know, they put it on the little template and measure it and stuff like that. You know, 10 years ago that, you know, that was more the call of the clerks. And I noticed a lot of clerks, like they'd call one clerk would call something a parcel and the other clerk would just call it uh, non-machinable. You know, it was, and you still get that, but not nearly as much as you used to. And I think we were looking at, the 30s and 40s, um, yeah, and apparently some of those uh, rates, wherever they were posted, they're not uh, any sheets or rate sheets available to establish yep. them. Now, in the Scott catalog, they have acknowledged in 1939, the Canal Zone issued a set of regular stamps and airmail stamps for the 25th anniversary of the canal, and uh, there, there is recognition on certain certain cover rates. Um, being worth substantially, uh, substantially a lot more, uh, several covers being catalog values of a hundred and two hundred fifty dollars if it was used a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's interesting because the denominations were issued for specific rates. 
not in the not in the not in the sense of the um, of the 25th anniversary. Um, yes, with the airmails, but not with the regular stamps, because there's um, they, they did uh, there's uh, many higher denominations that I mean, why would they issue a 20 cent and a 25 cent stamp? They used that as much because they needed that that they needed to make that many stamps to make images of the canal and the before and after and things like that. Interesting, yeah. Those are those have always been scare, relatively scarce covers, other than the low values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's been mostly the collectors that have gotten them. I've rarely been able to, to buy those kind of collections or find lots of them. And, uh, they, when they sell, they'll sell like in the Canal Zone Steady Group auction. Do they get good prices? Yeah, they get very good prices. This is yeah. it's a specialist item because. Again, the rates weren't published, apparently. So, yeah. Well, I know that in the Philippines during World War II, there were post offices that were taken over by the Japanese, but there were actually post offices that were never taken over by the Japanese. They were independent and everything like that. And they had different stamp usages. A lot of them, you know, they sent stuff, you know, without stamps or with markings or whatever, but... Whenever they use stamps, there's very little, very little consistency, and uh, that's like you know the victory over prints. You know that was not uh, something from the postmaster of the Philippines. That was from the postmaster of w- what city? Tacloban. Yeah. So you know that postmaster just said, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do." Well, it also helped that in Tacloban you had a number of philatelists, including Bill Bilden there. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, there were at least three philatelists, well-known philatelists, that were there at the time, and that's why there were so many first-day covers. They actually printed up a cachet uh, uh, on, for legal-sized uh, envelopes that says first-day cover, and then they said, this is a victory overprint. And that's why I hate the victory overprints when they are not on cover. And well, you, well, you can hate a lot of stamps then. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, well, I mean, it, it's like... There, and I've said this before, you know, there's this, the 24 cent stamp, I think they showed that there were like 200 of them issued and there's like 450 of them running around in auctions and stuff. It's like, how do you double the number? Well, you double the number because it's done with a rubber stamp that anybody can make. But it, you can still use, but that same rubber stamp is used on the two cent apple green stamp, which is only a $15 catalog stamp. And you can use that particular image because it's the same hand stamp using the same ink as your template to start expertizing those stamps. Actually, uh, I got uh, from Tom Mills, uh, shout out to Tom Mills, he just moved. Um, oh, shoot, I forget what it was, but it was a cover. Um, uh, postal, oh, it was postal money order cover. That's what it was. And they put them on, I think they kind of just put the overprint on whatever was handy. And so they had postal money order covers. And so they put a bunch of victories on the postal money order covers. And, you know, they, they said, Hey, everything in this post office is getting stamped with a victory. But again, it, it's in my opinion, and I know you disagree. Um, expertizing the victory over prints is the same as expertizing the RF over prints from uh, the French Navy in uh, World War II. No, I actually think the RFs are there's a 
the, the gentleman, there's a gentleman who has a tremendous collection who was at, uh, he was at uh, Mesa, and um, he was he brought up all the points that you have to have on an RF cover for it to be considered genuine. And no, no, no. But I mean, uh, what about an individual stamp, not uncovered? Yeah, absolutely impossible to authenticate. Yeah, I think that it's the same thing with a victory. Well, bar, I, barring I, I, you, hold on, all, hold I can, all I can say barring, is you show you show what you don't know about Philippines overprints. I know when you I, say that. Oh, now I, I, I take that as you're an insult. <laughs> forget who you're talking to. Right. I, I'm throwing down a gauntlet here. There's going to be a duel. Later We're going to have a duel here. <laughs> a duel at Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, back to Zeppelin. Uh, I have a Zeppelin fact. Okay, there you go. They had uh, the Graf Zeppelin, and they showed a picture of the Graf Zeppelin. And anybody who's seen the uh, Goodyear blimp, you know, they, you look at the Goodyear blimp and you figure out how big the Goodyear blimp is. The tail fin on the Graf Zeppelin, that fin on the back, that's the size of the Goodyear blimp. This, the, the, the Graf Zeppelin was humongous. Gigantic. Gigantic. I mean, as big as you think it is, it was bigger than that. It was gigantic. So. Well, it had such a, it had a metal superstructure or internal structure. Yep. Which, the, which a blimp, by definition of what a blimp is, does not. Right. A blimp is basically a big balloon with a tail at it and, and the gondola at the bottom and that has the engines. And, and they call it a blimp because supposedly when you punched it in the side, it went blimp. <laughs> That's where I got the name. Uh, should we talk about blimp covers? Because there's a couple of those around. You does see the, the Goodyear blimp carry yes. mail? Oh, does it carry mail? Um, I have seen Goodyear blimp cover mail. Or uh, mail. I have seen caches of Goodyear blimp mail. There, there are there is blimp mail that that has caches for when they were covering, when they when the blimps were actually covering the uh, the uh, the missile launches and rocket launches in the fifties and sixties, mm -hmm. they'll say blimp ZR two or something like that, and so it's just like like anything else is cached. Yeah, and then sometimes uh, they would go from uh, a boat, they'd launch a blimp off a boat, a ship, and so you'd carry all the ship mail which is 99% philatelic. Right. <laughs> but they carry the mail from the ship via blimp over to someplace, land, and then cart it off to the post office. So that's uh, another way that you get the blimp covers. And then Cash has this wonderful little album with him. Oh, this... That should be talked about. Okay, yeah. This was uh, from Jerry Schwartz, who was at lunch with us again, you know. And it is a... United States stamp album. Circa uh, 1940. Circa 1940 from the Stamp and Album Company of America Incorporated. Uh, Fifth Union Square, New York City. And it's from 1940. But the interesting thing I found about this album is it's just, it's soft cover. It's like every other one you've seen. You know, it's half the size of the Scots. You know, it's Scott's is like eight and a half by 11. This is more like, like six eight and a half by four or five or six yeah. or whatever it is. So it's like half size. 
but it has the pictures of everything. Yeah, it looks more like a 7 by 10. Okay. And uh, first of all, U.S. number one actually starts with the number 501 because I guess they didn't get the rights from Scott's to use the Scott's catalog numbers. But it's got the prices. So it shows U.S. number one, a little picture of it. Then underneath it, it has 501, their catalog value or their catalog number. And then next to it, it has the price, and the price is $9. It, it describes the stamp as those that we have for sale used. Andy, so they're, yeah. they're putting their retail price on the item. And there, there's two interesting things about this. First of all, a U.S. number one for 9 bucks. When just this morning, I saw them selling for 1000 Right. Now, I'm sure that the one you bought for $9 here was not anywhere close to the condition of the ones yeah. that were sold today. But yeah, is that company still in business? Maybe I can write them and ask them for a <laughs> I found a your price, price list. list. Yeah. <laughs> but the second thing, you know, $9 for a U.S. number one that's in a printed album like this, that has to be top dollar, full, uh, full retail everything. Sort of like, you know, the H.E. Harris catalog did. Right. Uh, H.E. Harris, which I remember, you know, in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, people didn't use the Scott's catalog. They used Brookman and H.E. Harris. And both Brookman and H.E. Harris were price guides. You, you used those prices to purchase the item. So Brookman actually would sell you a stamp listed at the price that was in their book. And then you always discounted it because you knew that Brookman and H.E. Harris were full retail. And so you, you know, you, I remember that normally you would get one third off Brookman. So you'd use the Brookman catalog because it was great. It was a little thin catalog that was easy to carry. And you'd, use it really well and it would just be one third off of that price. And if you wanted to pay full price, you could go to Brookman, sort of like Mystic, except Mystic doesn't put out a price guide. But what an excellent uh, business model. You print the catalog and sell the catalog and you sell the stamps in the catalog. Yeah. And you, and you sell the catalog with the pictures of the stamps so that you are teaching and learning as you're going. Well, I mean, there are a lot of places. Um, Scott, back in the 1800s, you know, he was a stamp dealer who made the cattle. Yeah. So, anyway, this uh, thank you very much, Jerry. Uh, again, uh, United States stamp album, and it says including all famous Americans. Ooh. Wow! So that which gives was you, brand new at that time. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because. Well, some of the interesting little tidbits are, you know, I was looking at Philippine stamps because I collect. I am an expert on the Philippines, by the way, Albert. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> but the prices, a lot of the prices on Philippine stamps haven't changed since <laughs> 1940. <laughs> I mean, the cheap stuff is still cheap. Yeah. Now, probably in the 1940s, it wasn't as available. Yeah. So, it w they marked it up because they couldn't get it. Now you can get it, but you get it at exactly the same price that it was listed for. That's interesting. 
there were very prominent stamp dealers at that time in Manila, Walter Brugman, for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was supplying stamps, uh, buying the stamps at the post office and sending them to the big dealers in New York and Boston and things like that. There's um, was that in the forties though? I thought. Oh that no, was... he was he started he started dealing in the teens. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. He died. He died in. He died in a. He died in a. Uh, he died in a civilian uh, detention camp uh, a couple weeks before they were liberated in 1945. Oh, sorry to hear that. Condolences to his relatives. A, li a little late. Hmm. But yeah, it, it's very interesting because the fellow uh, who put out this book, you know, he put the prices on it. Oh. Uh, a 65 cent Zep stamp, 10 bucks. The dollar 60 is 18.50. I'm sorry, it's not a dollar 60, right? It's a dollar 80. No, it's a dollar 30. Oh man, math. And uh, the 260 is 27.50. So that's an indicator. That was a lot of money in 1940. Yeah. It'll be a, when we revalue our currency, it'll be a lot of money here, too. Yep. <laughs> there, somebody suggested that the post office might devalue all their all the older stamps. Is that? Oh, you weren't here for the last, uh, you weren't here two weeks ago. Um, the British have, are going to demonetize all their non-commemoratives and replace them with uh, stamps that have a QR code on them, like our private vending stamps, so that you will have a way of checking to see if the stamp is real. And also, because the QR code has to roll, um, it's going to put a lot of significant problems on whoever's printing these. You can't just photocopy it anymore because you have to have a rolling QR code. Um, the United, they said in the United States and, uh, what was the exact quote, Mark? You quoted them exactly the, something about, uh, we're, we're bigger than them and, uh, it won't work here or something like that. Oh, I don't remember that But, uh, but well, I did find it interesting though, that besides the regular issues, they're also demonetizing their Christmas stamps. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. Christmas stamps and regular issues. It's an anti of Counterfeiting measure? Yeah, yeah, isn't that? I think it's a war on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and um, it was it was me that made that comment because that's what it said in the article is that the post office service. Said, oh, you said it. Or, I, or the author of the article said yeah. that the problem is is that the United States Postal Service and the United States as a country is so much larger than Great Britain that 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 becomes almost impossible from a financial standpoint, to demonetize that many stamps. Yeah. Um, probably also a reason why they haven't tried to enforce the um, uh, counterfeiting of the even the commemorative stamps, but certainly the uh, regular issues, because what they figure they're losing, it would take more than that in effort and money to run it down, yeah, but and you therefore you are just basically San Franciscoizing, yeah, exactly shoplifting, yeah, yeah. Well, that is an excellent point for a short-term strategy. I mean, you want to minimize the money 
now and uh, who cares about the future. And since the post office has only been around since, uh, what, 2006? Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. It was around since 1776. I was going to say. You're... Yeah, their, their long-term uh, goals here seem to be in conflict with their short-term goals. Now, the U.S. Post Office has to do something, and I think the QR codes, the way that Britain is doing it, is an incredibly smart way to do it. It's not obtrusive. It's yep. everybody just it's it's a stamp. You could have your you know, you could have your uh, stupid, ugly U.S. stamps and just put the little QR code on the side. Yeah, I think the demonetization, though, is is a step too far. I, I think they could have done it without demonetizing the, the past stamps. Yeah, I think that's that is uh, they are crossing a bridge there that's going to damage the stamp collecting hobby in Britain significantly. And all you have to do is look at, like, Israel to see exactly what occurs. So, anything else? Any other little tidbits? You want to talk about a little bit more about the Kelleher sale? Uh, what about it? Um, what other things did you buy? <laughs> you talked about buying your first day cover, but yeah. what about the other things? You the bought? most expensive, by the way, that's the most expensive thing I have ever bought. I bought a... Uh, U.S. number 10 first day cover, and it's going to go in my exhibit. That's the only reason I paid it. I paid full retail. I mean, full, full retail. And it was uh, after the commission, it's going to be a little, just shy over 12000 bucks. So that's the most I've ever spent on an item. A mere bagatelle. I know. You, you, you do that this every other week. Um. But for me, you know, it, and this is not for resale. This is disappearing into my exhibit. And next time you see my exhibit, I'll have, I have a current first day cover for the three cent rate, but it's a stampless. This one will be a first day cover for US number 10. And uh, let's see, other than that, I bought, like I said, you know, the prices were going crazy. I thought it was interesting because. Prices were very, very strong in items less than about a thousand up to a thousand dollars. There was a U.S. number two, which was just as nice as any of the U.S. number ones. So the U.S. number ones were selling for like four times catalog value. There was a U.S. number two that I bought for double catalog, a little slightly less than double catalog. And I was shocked that I got it. It was very, very surprising. And then I bought a U.S. number eight from the Zollner collection. Uh, it's a gorgeous stamp. But when I saw it, I just had to buy it, and it, that was like six grand. So I racked up about 20 grand, but this was the uh, most expensive item I've ever purchased. You're going for the gold. I'm going for the gold. Next time you see my exhibit, if I don't get a gold, I'm... I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're going to talk, sure. talk to the head judge and you're going to ask him, what do I need now? Yeah, I'm going to throw or, down or a gauntlet did, and challenge how, him to a duel. Or how, did I, <laughs> how, can I, how, can I, how can I put it on a page to make it stand out more? Well, actually, the last one, I got a large Vermeer again. 
their criticisms were valid. I'm going to change a couple things about the exhibit that it, it not, it's just, I'm going to like move some pages to some different places. And, uh, well, basically I say that the first, it's an exhibit on what is the first modern postage stamp. And I think I've discovered, uh, discussed it before, but the first modern postage stamp, in my opinion, is US number 26 from plate 15. And then I explain why. And I go into the post office being modern. I go into the modern postal rates, how, how the postal rates are determined versus you know just picking a number to try to get money, you know, a modern way. Then modern production of the plates, and then modern production of perforating the stamps, and uh, then other stuff. Modern, what was going on? So you know, I showed like the development of envelopes. And the one thing I have to remove is I have to remove the slavery stuff because it really didn't apply. So I'm just going to move it because I talk about it in the beginning. This is the first modern stamp. And the criticism was it's a six-frame exhibit. And the criticism was I talk about the stamp on my first page, and then I don't show it until the second to the last page because I discuss all the modern stuff and then show it. So what I'm going to do is every single section I'm going to show a plate 15 stamp and say, here, this paid this rate. And then I'm going to talk about rates. Are you going to be able to put the uh, stampless first day with the, uh, with the three cent first day? Yes. Oh, I have already got it in my head because, you know, this isn't the first, first day cover I bid on. The, the other one I, <laughs> the other one, I refused to pay the price, which is exactly the same price that I paid today. <laughs> so it's like, oh, whatever. Um, but the, uh, I have, I'm going to have this first day cover, then I'm going to have my stampless. Then I had a second day cover and a third day cover. And the third day cover is a six cent rate which would have been a 10 cent rate two days earlier. So I'm going to get rid of my second day cover and replace it with the first day cover and then keep my third day cover because I wanted to show that in actuality, the price didn't drop from five cents to three cents. It dropped from five cents to three cents within 300 miles. It dropped from 10 cents to three cents for a huge amount of the post office delivery system. Like uh, there, I have a cover from uh, Maryland to Charleston, South Carolina. It's over 300 miles. It's like 470 miles or something like that. And you know they measured it by the way that a cart goes, not even the way that crows fly. So the postal rates in the United States really didn't drop from five cents to three cents. They really dropped from 10 cents to three cents. So uh, that's some of the stuff. Anyway, so my exhibit will have another item in it. And that's why I was bidding Kelleher this morning. Well, on that cheery note of me going broke, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, call the show. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. 
so you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Collecting happens when we dream together.